Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture passage that I'm about to read is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. As you listen, you may find it challenging to reconcile Darwin's theory of evolution and the origins of humanity with its promise of a divine encounter with a benevolent God who seemingly allows suffering and evil. For what do we do with evil? When we look at the entire sweep of redemptive history that began in Eden. From Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. You know, one of the other things I discovered on YouTube was there are some things in there that are very uncomfortable to watch. They are actually quite cruel. And what I found the most disturbing videos to be were the ones that were around the idea of nature. For example, something that I never knew until this week, and I wish I could forget, but I can't. The image of that video is on my mind. It's, it's etched in there. And so rather than suffering alone, I'm going, not going to share the video with you, but I'm going to tell you about it so that you can suffer with me. Because this is a, a video about a wasp. But this isn't just any wasp. You see, this is what we call a parasitic wasp. And what happens is, is the wasp, when it's ready to lay its eggs, will fly around. And as it flies around, it looks for the ideal caterpillar. Once it finds the caterpillar, it lands on it, and it takes, and it cuts with its, with, I'm not sure what it is, but something really sharp, and it cuts into the caterpillar, and it deposits its eggs inside of the caterpillar. And then it flies away. Well, what happens is the caterpillar just continues to function and live on in life, but what is happening within that caterpillar is those eggs, for the nutrients for it to grow, are from the innards of the caterpillar. 
And as these eggs begin to, to grow and it begins to form, these little tiny wasps, perhaps just larvae, when they get big enough, they begin to break out of the caterpillar. So this image you see right now, you can actually see them coming out of the caterpillar. And the caterpillar is now left literally just an empty shell. I had a hard time with that. And then I had even a worse time because I don't know why I was in the mood, but I Googled another one. And this one I found was even more troubling. There was a cougar sitting on, laying out on a limb. And as it was laying out on a limb, as I looked very closely, I saw that its paw was holding down this baby antler. And I can still see the image, and the cougar is just panting. And every once in a while, that little baby antelope would make a cry, and it would try to move, and you could just kind of almost instinctively see the cougar just put a little bit more weight on it. One time, that little baby antler moved enough that it broke free, and I thought, oh, finally. Well, the cougars have two paws. So up comes the other paw, whap, and holds it down. And a squeal comes from that little baby antler. It reminded me that for those of you who have cats, they are related to cougars. And if you notice, there are cats that will play with their prey, mice. So I watched that on YouTube too. And I realized something, that they are not actually playing just to be entertained with that little mouse. Instead, what they're doing is instinctively, they are allowing that mouse to wear itself out. Because in its mind, somehow, the cat sees the potential of a threat and so before it's going to take its prey, it's going to make sure that it's worn it out. All of these things I've described to you happen instinctively for these creatures. They are not morally evil. However, it did make me wonder if nature itself is evil. Evil in the sense that you see the pain and the cruelty and the suffering that is within nature. Now, if you want to believe that no other species other than us can experience pain or fear or understand when they're faced with a threat, you can do that, and that would be a nice way around not having to worry about what happens out in nature. But evidence seems to say that animals are aware. Now, if you believe in God, this creates a problem. And here's the problem. If there is a God, and you believe that this God is a good God, 
but not just a good God. He is what we call omnibenevolence, a all, all extreme good God. And if you also believe that this God is what we call omnipotence, meaning that this God is all-powerful, then how do you explain that this good God, benevolent God, and powerful God allows the evil or the cruelty or the pain and suffering that we see in nature? It's a problem that we call theodicy, the problem of a good God and evil. How do they coexist? Human beings have struggled with that question for literally millennials. And in that struggle, they have come up with stories to try to explain this phenomena that we see. The story that is probably most prevalent within the Christian church, a traditional understanding, is a story that takes the creation account quite literally. So when God creates the world, God creates a perfect world, what is called the Garden of Eden. Perfect environment. Everything in harmony with each other. But then Adam and Eve make a wrong choice, and because of that choice, they suffer the repercussions in their lives. Christians say they became sinful. But not only did human beings at that moment suffer the repercussions of their actions, nature itself suffers the consequences. In my mind, when I used to believe in that literal story, I often wondered at what point did animals turn into predators? I mean, I thought about just the canines, the, the teeth, and, and the claws on a, on a feline. Were they always there? They just didn't use them? Did something happen to their brain, and, or did it happen to their bodies? I couldn't figure that one out. So Christians have lived with this idea that these two individuals made a choice, and because of that, all of the suffering and the evil that we see naturally around us is due to that choice. However, they have hope. Rather than just letting the world continue to go on and on and on and suffer like this, there is a belief in this story that God will intervene. And the Apostle Paul, in the epistle to the Romans, says the following in chapter 8, verses 19 and 22. Everything that God made is waiting with excitement for God to show his children's glory completely. Everything God made was changed to become useless, not by its own wish, but because God wanted it 
And because all along there was this hope, hope that everything God made would be set free from ruin to have the freedom and glory that belong to God's children. We know that everything God made has been waiting until now in pain, like a woman ready to give birth. So what Paul is describing is that, and it's not just Paul, you can find it throughout the Old Testament, is you have this idea that nature is suffering under the weight of sin. But there's a hope that God will intervene. One of the examples that clearly states this is found in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65. And the writer says the following, Look, I, God, will make new heavens and a new earth, and people will not remember the past or think about these things. Wolves and lambs will eat together in peace. Lions will eat hay like oxen, and a snake on the ground, I will not hurt anyone. That one I don't know if I believe. They will not hurt or destroy each other on my holy mountain, says the Lord. So whatever happened back then, eventually God's going to flip it. How? They don't say. So that's the first story in dealing with this idea of evil. The reason we see evil in nature is because of a choice that human beings made, and it has affected the world ever since. And then God will intervene and make it all right again. This idea is continuing to be taught in this valley right now. I was talking to a woman the other day whose child was taught about this, and it left him scratching his head, wondering how all this works. But as we've noticed over the last few weeks, that if you accept evolution, this story doesn't work anymore in a literal way. You can, figure, you can look at it figuratively, figuratively if you choose, but to take it literally, no. So then another story came about by a man named Charles Darwin. Now, Charles Darwin was not the only one during that period of time in the 19th century who was wrestling with this question of a good God and evil within nature. There was a group of individuals who were studying nature closer than they ever had before, and they would see the intricacies and the beauty of nature, and they used that to, as proof that there was God. Charles Darwin was one of them to begin with. But as Charles Darwin continued to study, he began to realize that there was things that were happening in nature that not, did not help the problem and the cause of God. In fact, Charles Darwin, shortly after going public with his theory, he wrote this to a friend. 
There seems to me too much misery in the world. I cannot persuade myself that a beneficent and omnipotent God would have designedly created the parasitic wasp with the express intention of their feeding within the living bodies of caterpillars, or that the cat should play with mice. Darwin saw the problem. And as he continued to study science, a solution appeared for him. And that solution was that God was distant and separated from the rest of the world. How? Because God chose to create the world through natural law. And it is natural law that decided how the world would evolve. So in some ways, it gets God off the hook. Because God is not responsible for the evil. What the evil that we see from the natural law is just nature unfolding. And God is sitting back there watching. And so for many people, that gets God off the hook. But then other individuals looked at this idea of God and said, oh, man, I don't think it lets God off completely. Because it was God who chose to create the world through natural law. And by making that choice, then God is still responsible for whatever happens. Plus, this idea of a God is a God who has the planet out here, the universe out here, and God is way back here, just hanging out by himself, doing nothing. So there were individuals who rejected this second story, and they came up with a third story. And recently, that story has gained new traction again by a man named Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins tells a third story, a story that tries to deal with this problem of a good God and an evil nature. And Dawkins simply said, there's no God. And if there's no God, there's no problem. In one of his books, he says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people, some people are just going to get hurt. And other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find rhyme or a reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. 
As that unhappy poet A.E. Hausman put it, for nature, heartless, witless nature will neither know nor care. Dawkins concludes, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. That's the third story. And that story has left many people walking away from any belief in God. Now, there are many other stories out there as human beings have tried to wrestle with the reality of evil in, our, in nature, suffering and pain and cruelty, as well as the idea of evolution. I want to offer you a fourth story. Now, you have to decide which story works best for you and your idea of God and how that idea of God impacts how you see yourself and deal with other people in our world. But here's a fourth study for you to consider, a fourth story for you to consider. And I call it a 21st century story. So if we look back at the history of Homo sapiens, they have had the ability to discard concepts of God that they no longer found as relevant. For the last hundreds of years, we've kind of locked into this idea that God is this, and God doesn't change, God doesn't evolve, God is static. But if you look at the history of religion, if you look, compare that with the history of evolution, all of a sudden you begin to realize that as human beings evolved, as our world evolved, their ideas of God evolved. We can see this in the Old Testament. Israel, when it first begins as a nation, is polytheistic. They believe there are many gods. They just have chosen Yahweh as the ultimate God, the God above all other gods. And then over time, that idea shifts to one of monotheism. Now these other gods they used to see around, now they say, well, they're, just, they're not even gods. There's only one God. And so we can see how they shifted their idea of God. And it didn't stop in the Old Testament. You move into the New Testament, and you have individuals, Jewish descent, who now are followers of Jesus, and they've got a problem. And that problem is, what do you do with monotheism? If you believe there is one God, then who in the world is Jesus? And they wrestled with that. And then someone came along and said, not only do you have to worry about Jesus, but you also got to think about the Holy Spirit. How is there going to be one God, and yet we still talk about Jesus possibly being God, and then the Holy Spirit? 
And it wasn't until the third century that Tertullian came up with the idea of a trinity. The idea of God evolved. And when it no longer worked with the evidence that was before them, people reconsidered and they changed their idea of God. It happened again. Remember Nietzsche? Some of you might even remember the time that Nietzsche appeared on Times Magazine with the headline, God is Dead. A new way of thinking about God. So is it possible that in the midst of the 21st century, as we see our world rapidly changing, that it is time for us to reconsider our concept of God. Now, you can say no. And you will still be welcome here. And you might be right. Or you might be wrong. Because to rethink your idea of God is hard. It's scary. Charles Darwin's wife was a very devout Christian. And she was aware of what Charles Darwin was doing. And she wrote a letter to Charles Darwin, her husband. And in there, she stated what it was that she believed as a Christian. And she shared that letter with him. Some people wonder if one of the reasons that Charles Darwin was not overly hard on Christianity was because of his sensitivities toward his wife, because he understood how his ideas would upset her. They found that letter after Charles Darwin died. And he had written at the bottom of that letter, I have cried and many tears have fallen upon this piece of paper. Charles Darwin fully understood what his theory was going to do to Christianity. And it hurt him inside because he understood how it would hurt his wife. People continue to struggle with evolution, a good God, and an evil world. And it can be very easy for us just to say, ah, you know, let's change our idea of God. Let's doubt God. Let's throw out God. But that's hard. What I hope for in your life is that you will find the courage 
to overcome whatever fears that you might have about thinking what God means for you today in the 21st century. People are looking for individuals who are authentic in their beliefs, who are not afraid to ask the hard questions, who are not afraid to live with ambiguity. And I know of only one way to do that, and that's in community. We need each other. We need support from each other as we continue to learn to live in an ever-evolving world and an ever-evolving species ourselves. May you be blessed with that courage. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.